Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. This is uh, this is week three, I believe. No, this is week four of quarantine podcasting. I this is I our fourth count. episode. I completely lost count. It seems like I, it's been this the whole time. Because uh, Blondie was that way, Elvis was that way, and Death was that way. So this is our fourth one. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So hopefully everybody is uh, still doing well, that uh, the madness has not completely overtaken you yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just continue to thank you guys for all of your support. The podcast is better than ever. Um, I'm really, really excited that um, my little experiment is paying off. Oh, with uh, between between the buried and me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that really because this morning. yeah. So that was a episode that I was really kind of gambling on to um, see if anyone would even be interested, or if this is going to be kind of like the niche extreme metal audience would pay attention to it, and then you know that would be it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is only the first day, but. It is pacing just as well as any other episode that we've released, which to me is a win. That is a win for and, such an obscure artist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 hoping that this is kind of on the back of just like people just being curious, just going, Well, what the heck is this band? He always talks about bands we know. I don't know this band. Mm-hmm. Let's let's see what it is. So um if that's how you stumbled across that episode and you enjoyed it then um you know that's fulfilling the uh the mission statement of the podcast all along which is to not only have an avenue for us to like geek out about music but (laughs) to introduce you guys to favorites that you didn't know were favorites yeah yeah so that's that's kind of the the areas that make me happy in doing this podcast. Right. So, yeah, the episode's doing well. And, you know, all of our other episodes are continuing to get traffic. Our Coldplay episode is at like 6,100 total <laughs> plays right now. It's just yeah. insane. I, I always keep coming back to and just going, dang. I, I remember you were talking in uh, the part one of the episode that we're going to do today. And it was up at like. 300 or 400 or something and and you were surprised when it was that low which i say that low that's a lot of listens but like the fact that it's at 6100 and i remember it was like 3000 at the beginning of the year you know yeah which is crazy but that's been um that's been a success story that you know it's definitely one of the volume twos we're probably going to return to first just because i know that that's an episode that is going to be well sought after. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be popular with our listeners. So uh, when we'll do that, who knows? But, you know, it's it's definitely on my mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the normal spiel, wherever platform that you're listening on, please hit the subscribe button. It'll let you know whenever new episodes are out. We always have new episodes that come out uh, 9 a.m. Central. 
And um, also make sure that you give us a review, leave us a comment, give us a rating. You can let us know in the reviews what artists you would like for us to do next. Um, one guy that left us a review, or one girl, I don't know who it is, is, is still waiting on that Sonic Youth episode, <laughs> which we have heard you. That is something that we'll get to at some point. Um, and then in every episode... In the description, there is a link that will take you to a page where you can donate a monthly pledge to support the channel. Um, but I am very excited to say that the Patreon page is underway. <laughs> I have officially started working on it. I would love to say that it'll be ready <laughs> Yeah. soon. You've been talking about this Patreon uh, page for like months now yes i have <laughs> and it's finally Although, happening uh, i'm sure that probably by the time you guys are listening to us that it's already out yeah so instead what i'm going to say is i'm going to predict the future and say go check out our patreon page <laughs> you're going to find out find some really cool stuff there but for those of you that enjoy the original version uh i'm sure i'll probably still i don't know if i'll still keep that link i might just replace it with the patreon link maybe I don't know. Keep them both. I'll, I'll see how I'm feeling. Whatever, whatever is there. Um, if you'll just check that out, that'll uh, allow you to be able to support the channel. And what that does is it um, it just allows us to move the podcast forward. We want uh, to make this a worldwide podcast. We are not satisfied with this just being a hobby of ours. We have our mindset on world domination. Yes. So through, uh, through your years. charitable, oh yeah. <laughs> so your charitable donations are going to be one of the big things that helps us get there. So if you feel so inclined, uh, head on over there. I'm going to say head on over to Patreon because I'm pretty sure that that's what we're going to funnel everything towards. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's everything. Oh, our uh, social media pages. Yeah. We've got an Instagram page and we've got a Facebook page. Both of them are identical. They've got the same content on there. So it's pretty much just down to whichever platform you prefer. So um, go check it's us Instagram out there. Friendly. We've always got... It's more Instagram friendly. Yes. It's, all, it's all posted to Instagram first and then copied to Facebook. Because, uh, you know, Instagram is what the kids are doing these days. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm not a kid, so I resisted it for a while. But, you know, you can't argue with what people are into so uh so yeah go check us out there we're gonna we've kind of got some pretty cool ideas of how to um incentivize some participation i'm not ready to reveal that quite yet so um but be on the lookout Ooh. for um some announcements to be coming on through there so um keep your ears open wow and i believe I believe with that, that it's time to go ahead and jump into this episode, an episode that I have been waiting to do for a very yes. long time. Yes, so... Something that I've, I've always talked about doing an episode like this, and probably a lot of you guys didn't believe me, but here we are. We're finally doing a volume two. All those times when I say, oh, we'll talk about that when we come back to that artist. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to start doing that now. Yes, and, and the original and... artist that you did, I, I listened to that episode actually earlier today. And I remember you saying in that episode, oh, we'll definitely have a volume two on this band. And I said, well, here we are <laughs> doing a volume uh-huh. two. So uh, I'm really excited for this volume two. It's got its own little spin on it. It's not just uh, a re-skin of the same artist. We're kind of delving into a specific area of their music, so to speak. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess without further ado, today's band is Pink, Pink Floyd. Floyd. Pink Floyd. <laughs> One of my, uh, I just thought you were going to say I, Well, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> I was going to try to build up somehow for you to say it, but <laughs> here we are. Yeah, yeah we, we didn't we didn't plan that before. Not at all. <laughs> uh, this is actually our first volume two, so uh, obviously, so we we're kind of feeling this out as much as uh, you guys are. Um, yeah, but this one specifically but... has a spin on their epics. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm jumping straight into the challenging material Mm -hmm. on this episode so like uh, in every episode when i'm like describing how i'm picking the songs i talk about you know i'm picking songs that you know will give you a great first impression if you've never heard the band not so anymore this time we are delving deep and we are getting more into uh kind of the heart of pink floyd looking more at what made them them now there are a lot more um there are still a lot of like big hits and easily accessible songs of theirs and I could have gone that route but I decided not to. I wanted to go ahead and get weird on this second episode. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And when he says get weird, he means it. So if you haven't listened to the first Pink Floyd episode, definitely go check it out, listen to their songs, get acquainted with their sound if you haven't already. Um, and if you haven't yes. already, definitely go listen to the episode two. It's a gr- good companion piece to this episode. Um, we won't be going through their history quite as much. I'll definitely be asking some history questions about them as, as it pertains to these songs. But general information about Pink Floyd is not a, an objective of this episode. So if you've never listened yeah, to the band, so... go listen to that episode. Yeah. Uh, this this episode is not for Pink Floyd newcomers. So <laughs> if you're if you're wanting a more basic and beginners look at the band, then go check out the first episode that we did on them. Once you have, come on back and join us here for this uh, more closer look, this deeper dive, this exploratory journey. I think that's kind of what I want to make the focus of this episode is Pink Floyd's ability to take you on a sonic journey. It's kind of the theme that runs through all of these songs. It's not just that they're long songs, Mm -hmm. but specifically that they take you through this wash of all these different emotions and feels and, um, and that lyrically these songs take you to such interesting places. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Um, there's so much to talk about with these songs. So I'm just going to guess that every single one of these is, um, except for the third one, it is somewhere between Dark Side and The Wall. Uh, you mean the fourth one? 
I do. I do mean the fourth one. <laughs> I do. You're right. Um, um, mostly correct, but also the last song on this list is pre-Dark Side. Oh, okay. So that's why it sounds kind of funky. Or yes. funky, for lack of a better term, weird. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that's just not to a talk a little bit about Pink Floyd's history, just in, in how it pertains to these songs. So Pink Floyd was primarily a psychedelic band starting out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you have the you have the Sid Barrett era yeah. of the band. Which, by the yeah. way, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a tease, the following times that we return to Pink Floyd, we're going to be moving in chronological order, looking at each era of the band in laser focus. Ooh, that'll be exciting. Yeah. So then, when we do a Pink Floyd Volume Three. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and we're going to exclusively look at Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. because I think that that's going to give a great snapshot of the band that um, I feel like the normal populace doesn't look at because it's too weird for a lot of them. Um, and you'll understand kind of what I mean when I say here that this band started off as the opposite of commercial, even though the Sid Barrett era of the band actually wasn't commercial in England because (laughs) England just kind of like always had an ear for less about like what was conventional and pop, but what was truly great artistically and musically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, Sid Barrett was a bonafide pop star during his time as the leader of Pink Floyd. Which was only like two years. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Before he went madly insane. Yeah. Yeah. And then became the lyrical focus of most of their career. I would I would say from <laughs> Dark Side to the Wall, yes. Which was kind of their quote unquote. The class the era. classic period. Yeah. Yeah, the classic yeah. period. Definitely the classic period focuses a lot. I mean, it's the subject of pretty much all of Wish You Were Here. It's right. That album is kind of a concept record about what the music industry did to him and what kind of their role was in it. And and the wall, of course, is based all around Roger Waters' life mixed with Sid Barrett experiences that they've had with him. You know, yeah, like the that, shaving that... for the eyebrows. And, and we don't talk about the wall in this episode, even though it's also, I consider it to be one huge epic. Oh, but yeah, it absolutely. Is. I'm really and surprised they didn't try to finagle like four of the wall songs into this, you know, and try to justify there being nine songs on the list. Yeah. But... <laughs> don't worry. When we, when we kind of do our chronological walk through Pink Floyd in future episodes, we'll spend plenty of time with the wall. <laughs> oh good 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 oh uh, because that's that's uh one of my favorite pink floyd albums so um, oh, i yeah, have the entire thing downloaded onto my phone all as one mp3 file yeah it's <laughs> it's the it's the album that made me love pink floyd right so. and and it's coming off the back of uh animals and wish you were here which are represented on this journey of the epics you know especially animals Yes. Very, animals. very long songs. We pretty so, much have all of animals on this. Uh, right. So, I mean, 
except because it's except so for the kind of the yeah yeah except for like the, the the short intro and exit track pigs on the wing part one and two those are kind of the only just because they're not really full songs right. so you know this is a point to where you know we're not going to probably ever see anything off animals again in a future episode it's being yeah. fully represented so when we get to the song portion of this episode uh, I'm pretty much just going to kind of be talking about Animals as a whole because it's such a fascinating record. Okay, I was I was going to go ahead and suggest we did that now, but uh, we can wait. We can I think wait. well, I think let's wait just because <laughs> a lot of it is going to be wrapped up in discussing the specific songs because the That's whole true. album is a concept record. That's true. As pretty much every album in that classic period was. So was there epic, like? the way that they did epics did that just happen out of like oh this song happens to be really long and we wanted to create a mood or was it inspired by like another artist did they come up with it themselves intentionally creating so, long again song? this is this is kind of where i was going before i got sidetracked of going Sorry. back <laughs> to this back to the sid barrett era right um they were part of that initial psychedelic movement mm-hmm. i want not even to say that they were part of it they were the leaders of it they really set the tone and the blueprint for kind of these, for really all of progressive music. You could yeah, say that they were like the first pure prog rock group, even though they really don't fit in with a lot of the um, the other prog rock groups as far as, you know, like crazy time signatures and very technical playing. You no, know, they're, they're still really good at their instruments. You they say are, but all the not... time that David Gilmore is the greatest guitar player. Um, and their oh, yeah. drummer is not, like, even though he plays really slow drum beats, he's not exactly a bad drummer, you know? No, and, oh, no. And, no one in the they, band is bad at their instrument. They're just they, not overtly skilled. They're not, like, you know, whipping out all these flashy technical runs. And, no. you know, they don't ever show off. Even David Gilmore in all of his glory, he rarely ever shreds. He always, the way he crafts his solos yeah. is just like Serve the figuring song. out what the perfect note for every single moment is and just constructing that. Right. Which is really hard to do as a guitar mm-hmm. player. You know, uh, Kiko Luriero talks all the time about you have to kind of think about what a good solo sounds like in your head and then somehow try to get what's in your brain out through your fingertips and that it's really hard for him to do and you know Kiko Luriero from Megadeth is one of in my opinion one of the most talented guitar players of all time but David Gilmore somehow has been able to figure out what a good solo sounds like in his head and get it to his fingers without making it sound like he's trying to show off. Yeah. And just <laughs> Which the, is cool. number, the number of like singable solos that he's written. Yeah. That's another thing. Singing it. Yeah. I mean, just like you could, you can sing along to just about every solo he's done and they're all good. Mm-hmm. It's just and, and great solo after great solo after great solo. Even with these long songs that we're going to talk about, a lot of the solos were memorable. Like I yeah. could go back and you could cut out the solo and I could sing what the solo was. Mm-hmm. Because 
every note, like you said, it's right where it needs to be. Um, so anyway, so born out of the psychedelic music, yes, yes, and you know they were kind of the among the first. Except you could say that really this format first comes like from jazz and from orchestral music, as far as just like mm, songs mm-hmm. being more like sweets. And or like in jazz, having kind of just long freeform instrumental jams. Mm-hmm. So you're pulling from that, but Pink Floyd was really kind of the among the first. I won't say they were the first definitively, because I'm sure that someone out there is going to say, "Well, this person technically did it before them." Um, they were among the first. I would say they were probably the first to popularize. Uh, these long form rock like jam sections that they would put in their songs. And they were also just among the first bands to really construct sound and make sound such an important quality of their music to where, you know, they dedicate large portions of their songs to where there's not a lot going on musically, but it's more about the sound that's being created. Mm, well, really, yeah, we we'll see a really lot of see... that in music today. Yes. Actually, and we're going to really zero in on when they do that in the songs in the next segment. Mm. But they were such sonic architects. I would say they, you know, probably next to the Beatles, they were the first true sonic um, architects of the rock world. And even I would say more so than the Beatles, the Beatles themselves were not creating a lot of the sounds. They would have the idea for the sound and then they would have George Martin, their producer, kind of be like, hey, figure out how we can make this happen. Where Pink Floyd mm-hmm. did a lot of that themselves. They were the ones um experimenting uh they were the ones that pioneered quadraphonic and surround sound Uh aha we talked about that like yes we did um (laughs) in the late 60s richard wright the keyboard player had this control panel at his keyboard to where he could direct the sound to a series of speakers that were set up in a circular fashion around the theater to where he could make the sound travel Oh, and that was and the, and the sound man was not controlling that rick wright was I he had this little joystick that he would just kind of move around where he could have like these sound effects and certain musical moments just kind of again they were so concerned about putting the audience inside the music making them willing participants mm. or unwilling yeah, or I guess that was more of a word. They were they were including them. They it wasn't just the music on the stage. They made the audience feel like they were in the middle of the music. That's cool. That's cool. And that's another thing that I really wanted to get across in this set. Obviously it's it's hard to get that because you know you don't have unless you physically set it up in your listening right. space. If you're just listening to headphones, you're not going to get the whole surround sound thing. The best you can get is stereo mm-hmm. where you've got, you know, something different in each side. Mm-hmm. But, but you can still go very far with just the left, right, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you listen to these early Pink Floyd albums, I would say specifically even after Sid left, because even when Sid Bear was in the band, you know, they had their psychedelic freakout moments, but he was still kind of a pop songwriter at heart. It's why it was so devastating when he left the band because 
they realize now that they weren't going to get on radio anymore, at least not for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the way that they kind of um, adapted was let's write all these long, trippy instrumental songs. So <laughs> you've got you've got songs like um, Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun and Saucer Full of Secrets and Careful with That Axe Eugene that an Adam Hart mother that are just like these long, weird winding pieces that don't have like a lot of like musicality to it. It's they're more of just like sonic um, tapestries. Mm -hmm. So to answer the question you asked quite a while ago, um, yeah, (laughs) this, this style of songwriting has always been in their DNA. And it's something that when we, do in a future episode we'll kind of look at the origins of that but uh-huh. you know this was i wouldn't say that there was a point where they decided okay let's start writing long songs if anything that that moment happened in i would say like 1968 mm-hmm. with with the second record saucer full of secrets that's when they started writing in this way and they didn't stop writing that way exclusively until about the album metal which is where one of our songs is off of Mm -hmm. and that came out in 71 but that was still their uh let me count here one two three four five it was their sixth album okay so so sid barrett was only on the first one right he was on the first two oh first two okay I was he only he was only on one song on the second album, but he was technically on it. Okay. Don't and then, and then <laughs> from that point on until the final cut, it was the the classic lineup being right. David Gilmour, Roger Waters, Nick Mason, and Rick Wright. And I'm really glad that you did a little bit of uh, representation of the Roger Waters is gone era. <laughs> yes. Which, which is actually sonically my favorite era. Oh, um, yeah. A, a Momentary Lapse of Reason is probably my favorite Pink Floyd album. Really? That's very yeah. interesting. I mean, I, I like The Wall, like, a lot. I, I love it. It's great. It, it's a good story. Um, mm. But A Momentary Lapse of Reason, just learning to fly... And uh, all the all the other songs, I, I totally blanked on like every song. One slip, <laughs> Dogs of War. One slip. Oh, one slip is so good. One slip is so. Whoa. It's such an underrated song. Um, uh, it's it's sorrow. underrated, album, but Sorrow's another good one. Yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. We'll also look at the David Gilmore era. Oh good. I'm excited for that. We'll I'm excited. At, for that one. Yeah. Well, that will be when we look at that Division Bell and Endless River. But I, I guess on that same note, it seems like after that point, they went to a lot more of kind of more accessible songs. It seems like yeah, David so Gilmore then... was a more accessible artist than Roger Waters' writing on Echoes and Animals and stuff. Well, I would say Roger Waters' songwriting took an interesting arc because... Um, you know, he didn't really start to take control of the band until around Dark Side. And you could really say that Dark Side is actually their most accessible moment in music. I mean, it's, you know, the, I think it's the third best selling album of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. 
So, you know, I would say it doesn't get more accessible than that. And, you know, as far as lyrically and conceptually, that was Roger Waters from start to finish. He wrote the lyrics to everything, um, even though at that point in time, the rest of the band had more creative control as far as how everything sounded as well as kind of writing the music and especially singing Roger Waters only sung one, technically two songs on dark side being brain damage and eclipse. Hmm. Um, and then so. also wish you were here. It's a very accessible sounding album as well. That's true. It is too. I mean, and the that title was, track is really good. And that was also one, again, every song written by Roger Waters, um, he, you know, he, does a you know he sings all of shine on you crazy diamond and you yeah. know has a very firm control of that record as well but again very accessible it's not till we get to animals that he kind of starts to put the concept above the music although mm -hmm. i still think that the balance is really well on animals oh yeah. oh yeah it's when we get to the wall that it starts to get out of balance while the wall is still very good um, you if know, you're not following the story, it's kind of pointless. Yeah, you, it has it has its moments where you know he's absolutely putting the concept over the um, over its sounding good because again he's taking a lot of the yeah. beauty on the wall and especially the middle of disc three and and most of disc four. Yes, is really just kind of filler. Oh, I won't say know? that. Well, I, I will. I, I will. I'll I say mean, that. Um, I'll say that disc four or side four, if you're talking vinyl speak, um, is the weakest uh, of the sides. It's actually a lot of times I'll turn off. Side three is actually maybe my favorite side. Well, it does have "Hey You." It does have "Comfortably Numb," and I think it has "Nobody's Home," which yeah. I really like that one. And I think that yeah. those those more ancillary pieces in the middle are necessary for those bigger songs to hit home. So I won't say mm -hmm. that's filler because it's, it's, you need it there, but okay. you know, it's just, you can tell that we're, we're, we're moving away from a commercial sounding Pink Floyd. And then you get the final cut after that, which um, Roger Waters sings every song except for one. And even on the one he doesn't sing, primarily he still co-leads with david gilmore hmm. and that is a hard record to get through it's just not good it's not that it's not good it's just that it's not easily digestible and it's not one that it gets better the more you listen to it although mm. there are yeah animals definitely does that are there are good songs on the final cut um, like Two Suns in the Sunset is, I think, a, an underrated Pink Floyd classic, as well as you've got, you know, great songs like Not Now, John, and um, The Gunner's Dream, where, mm -hmm. you know, you can hear the passion in what he's singing, but at that point, it was just, Roger Waters was just, had a such a firm hold on what he wanted the band to be that you know it just it all went to his head i think 
And yeah. so when you come off of a very tough sounding album like the final cut into the Gilmore era of momentary lapse of reason, it's such a ray of sunshine. Yes, you're losing a lot of the the lyrical deepness and heaviness that Roger Waters had because David Gilmore's one weakness is that he's not a great lyricist. But mm-hmm. what you lose in that, you gain with some of the most beautiful music that they ever made. Mm-hmm. And coming around to kind of we've got one song on this list from the Gilmore-led era, just showing that they right. never lost that adventurous musical spirit. Even on a song yes. that on the first listen, when you're listening to it, you think, oh, this is the normal sounding song. It still makes that turn to where you go. It, it does. It took a few listens for me to realize that because it flowed just so naturally. Yeah. That I didn't realize it until about like the third or fourth listen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like a whole like sequence in here. Yeah. But uh-huh. it's just, it's gotten so natural to their songwriting. So all of that to say. This style of songwriting has always been in their DNA. It's the music that they were always meant to play. And it's why Mm -hmm. on the second time around on this artist, I wanted to concentrate on this element of Pink Floyd. Because I think that when you strip away, you know, the, um, the commercial aspect of them with Dark Side and The Wall and Wish You Were Here, um, that this... What, What they wanted to be. Yes, this is what they... Not even this is not what they wanted to be. This is what they are. Mm-hmm. No matter okay. what phase of their career they go to, this style of composition was always sitting there. And it was always going to make itself known. And this, in my opinion, is the purest form of Pink Floyd. Hmm. You know, I think I might have to agree with you. So actually, after hearing your rationale, I think yeah. So there you go. Anyway, I think it's I think it's a good spot for a break. All right. Uh, hopefully, we've piqued everybody's interest into these songs and what we're going to say about them. Um, I'm certainly excited to talk about them. Yeah, me too. So. All right. Well, we'll take a break. When we come back, let's uh, dive headfirst into these songs. So stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Pink Floyd again and how they decided to write their epics and how they got to that point. And now it's actually time to talk about some specific epics that they have written. So we have chosen, like normal, uh, our six songs. And these songs are not going to serve the purpose uh, of just introducing to you all to the band. Um, they're more of just this specific niche. Um, obviously, if you haven't listened to uh, the first Pink Floyd episode and you haven't gotten acquainted with them and you haven't done that yet, I don't know why, but you should definitely listen to that first. Listen to those songs first so you're acquainted with their sound. Um, 
And once you've done that, you kind of know how these episodes really uh, go. So I think we should just go ahead and start with the first song. Yes. Uh, one other thing is that I'm still arranging the songs in a way to where there's still a flow from start to finish. That part has not changed. Oh, yes. Okay. I was wondering if so, you know, <laughs> it's, it's still not me just picking, you know, my favorite songs or even though, you know, the songs in this list are among my favorite Pink Floyd songs. That's not the sole basis of why I'm picking them. So make sure that uh, you listen to the songs in the order that they've been put in. They've been put there for a specific reason. And uh, make sure that you check out the link in the episode. It'll take you to a Spotify playlist. And from there, you'll be able to listen to all the songs that we are about to discuss. Yes. So um, now <laughs> we are ready. Now we're ready. The first song. <laughs> uh, and this song serves as a welcome to the audience. Yes. Welcome to the machine welcome that to is Pink Floyd. Uh, this song is one that I, obviously, I had known uh, initially because when we were listening to this together, as soon as you put it on, I was like, oh, we're doing Pink Floyd. Because this is actually yeah. this is actually one of my favorite uh, Pink Floyd songs. Uh, this is I would say this is the most popular song that's going to be on this list. Oh, oh, as far oh, for as, sure. Of what I think that people like will know beforehand if they're more of a casual Pink Floyd listener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the level of synth in this song is like unparalleled. I can't think of anything before the year 2000 that would have more synth in it without any drums. Yeah, I mean... There's no drums uh, in the whole I mean, song, I is could, there? There's a lot of stuff in the 80s that is, like, so incredibly synth-driven. But they all have drums. Uh, not necessarily. <sighs> okay. I, I can't think any off the top of my head, but I know I could find some that are like that. Uh, but this is a truly strange song like the creativity level on this song is just out of this world mm-hmm. so let's so let's look at kind of where pink floyd was at the time of writing it. right so this was so off this the is, this was off the wish you were here album so this was the concept yes, album is, of of we wish sid barrett was here and kind mm-hmm. of inspired by uh him and the experiences that they had with him and trying to kind of tell the story from his perspective um, I would. I mean, it's think. not exclusively like that. Although Sid is a leading factor in every song, they're also pulling from their own experiences as well. Okay. To say, I would say, like a song like "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," uh, that is one hundred percent about Sid. They're not talking about anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say also in the song "Wish You Were Here," I would say like that it's sung to Sid. But it's from the perspective of Roger Waters. So it's like it's got him in it as well. Mm -hmm. He's talking about what kind of man he's become in the wake of what happened to Sid. Mm. Um, Welcome to the Machine. Yes, you can look at this song being about Sid, but it's not exclusively about him. At least I there's no... There's no factual evidence to support that. It could literally just be about him. But looking at the lyrics and just seeing the lives of the other members of Pink Floyd, particularly Roger Waters, I think that this song fits to his 
childhood as well and his introduction to you know the machine being the music industry that makes sense because i i was picturing the machine being the music industry and it being like the machine that's going to destroy sid like yeah and i mean and again that's did, that's but... that's where sid fits into the concept of this song right and how it fits into the overall concept about it being their tribute to him but also you know rogers is talking about you know his experience with it as well really this could apply to anyone in the band or any musician in general that enters the music scene wide-eyed stars in their eyes um you know thinking that you know they're just gonna write hit songs and you know everyone's gonna love them and that they're gonna have everything they ever wanted Mm -hmm. and you know the the song is from the perspective of the music industry people almost it's like the song is about uh it's kind of saying what they're actually saying it's if when you read between the lines of the the lies that they're telling you this is what they're actually saying Mm -hmm. and i think that um the music perfectly encapsulates the fact that you're now in a machine oh it does it does sound like it sounds like tron though it doesn't sound like you're in like a like a clock or something it sounds like you're Uh in like a digital environment like you just got you just got downloaded man (laughs) but then but then you have the one like i guess besides the vocals you have the one human element in there of the acoustic guitar Oh, that's true. Which, Which just thematically kind of in. It's just it's not doesn't uh-huh. play a very prominent part like it does in in for example the next song. Yeah, it, it's it's uh just strumming there, just barely there. Yeah, which I think is very intentional thematically. That's, of like uh-huh. you know it's 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 this simple musician trying to break through the noise of all of the the machine around him Hmm. he's it's it's very simple guitar playing it's it's trying really hard to kind of drown out the noise but the further it gets into the song the deeper into the machine it gets the more um drowned out that it gets so would that have something to pertain to the the end the end it sounds like an elevator and he's going up the elevator, and then there's like what sounds like a reception hall or something. I think it's the um, I think it's the the surrender to the machine. It's it's giving up fighting and just becoming one of them. Hmm. Okay. I think it's you. You've joined the party. Okay. And I think that thematically, it's meant to serve as in on the album the. The song that comes after that being Have a Cigar, which is where, you know, it's the it's another bash on the music industry and music executives straight up kind of lying to your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this that's actually it's really timely that um, 
one of my metal musician buddies actually messaged me earlier today saying he was going to open up for uh, Flotsam and Jetsam, uh, which is really cool. Whoa. Yeah, it is really cool. They were going to be the first band. They were just going to play two songs. And uh, but still, like being the opening act for that band, like that's that's a dream that I have to have be like a band that level open up for them. Uh, but the front man of the band, the guy who was contacting them, t- completely lied to the faces of, you know, the managers and whatever, and basically didn't mention the rest of the band, chose different band members to perform. Oh. And it's kind of, I, I kind of want to say it's kind of justice to him that that's gotten canceled. <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> he, he couldn't really uh he couldn't really stick it to the rest of the band i guess so to speak which i don't know what kind of beef he has with him but um anyway that that buddy of mine was the bass player so it kind of sucked for him he got screwed over by the music industry already by someone who was yeah in his band. Mean, it happens early yeah crazy the earlier it happens to you the better yeah because then you kind of get disillusioned you know yeah, you can you you kind of you stop being naive and going, okay, I, I need to be smart here and make sure that I'm looking out for myself. Right, right. Um, I think this song was also at the end of like a Tales to the Crypt episode. It was talking about the machine as like society as well. Like, uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of the where the listener has the ability to relate to mm-hmm. it. Is you can also see this song and interpret it as like a father and son. You know, just kind of, you know, saying again, the welcome, my son, you can see it as like an older mentor just kind of telling you, listen, this is the way the world is going to be. Yeah. It's better if I tell you than if I try and fool you with everything's going to be great. Everyone is going to want you because you're special. It's just, you know, no, the world's a machine. It looks out for itself and its only concern is to use you. I was going to write a... uh... I had, okay, I had a phase in like junior year high school where I would write screenplays. I was going to write uh-huh. based off this song. <laughs> oh, I did one off a of Diary of a Madman. I did one off of Holy Wars. And, and then this was going to be the next one. And I, I ran out of that phase before I get to the end of it. But it's just because this song created that atmosphere and it created that mood that I wanted to continue into another piece of art. It was really inspiring. And so I guess that's really I guess cool. that's I guess that's good. I guess that that shows uh, a little bit of what they can do as far as creating that mood. And you talked mm-hmm. in the original Pink Floyd episode that they, even though Queen's your favorite band, Pink Floyd creates a lot of more emotions than Queen does. And yes, this is not the only song on this list that's going to do that. So, oh no, yes, not even close. This is. And again, this is this song almost still serves as like a warm up. It is. This is this is like a long introduction. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we still don't have any drums. We have barely any bass. Not not a complex you know. progression either. No, I would say the most complex part being when it does kind of that yeah section, kind of like I guess like the main motif musically mm-hmm. of the song. But anyway. Let's go ahead and move on so we don't 
run out of time. Uh, oh, yeah. Boring, buddy. That's going to be a danger on this episode. <laughs> so next, we're going to jump into the Animals album, which you listened to a lot yes. over the past few weeks. I know. Yes, I have. Uh, and the first song that's going to be represented is Dogs. Yes, Dogs. Uh, there's so many good parts in this song. So many good parts. Um, not as much as my favorite song, First thing, but there's good parts. <laughs> yeah, the first thing that I want to get into with Dogs is I want to talk about what Animals was as concept. Yes, okay, let's do that because we didn't do that initially. All right. So... Animals was the follow-up to Wish You Were Here. It came out in 1977. And um, if you think about what was else was going on in the music scene at the time, this was the, especially in England, uh, the punk movement was in full force at this point. And, you know, 70s English punk, the main um, subject of their lyrics was anti-government, anti-monarch. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of talking about how much it sucked to live in England at that time mm-hmm. because of, you know, just the taxes and, um, you know, the way that censorship was working, the way the economy was working, that it was just it was all made to only benefit the top percent and that everyone else is kind of trod upon in order to fulfill that mm-hmm. agenda. Mm-hmm. And punk was also meant to be a attack against like the dinosaurs, the decadent era of 70s rock musicians. It was aimed at the Zeppelins and the Stones and the Who, these kind of over-the-top, you know, like super rich, very uh, musically overblown the pink floyd i believe yeah pink floyd was meant to be but in a way animals was rogers waters way of kind of still being involved in that movement because the whole point of animals is him railing against english society at that time so is this based off of uh, george orwell's book animal farm yes okay yes that's what i've heard that's his prime that was his primary inspiration although he's not like borrowing like its story beats he's more of just taking that concept of comparing social classes to animals because animal farm is dealing with communism which england was not a communist state but he's still like saying okay this these areas these people are the dogs these people are the pigs these people are the sheep those are the three animals he focuses on (laughs) and the fact that he gets to call people pigs in the most intellectual way (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah it's kind of funny uh we'll we'll, we'll get into we'll that get on to the that next song one. yes we will uh but right now we're talking about dogs <laughs> so the dogs are the um the uh, i'm trying to think of the right way to say this they're like the businessmen but like the higher up businessmen mm. they're the uh, they're the corporate executives they're the the top salesmen in their craft i was picturing uh, like law enforcement no, oh, okay. They, they are the people whose whole job is to take everything from you. Mm. They're the um, and you you see that immediately in the beginning lyrics. Oh, um, you got to be trusted by the people that you lie to, so that when they turn their backs on you, you get the chance to put the knife in. Exactly. Oh. It's, it's the it's 
it's the brutality of the world of sales. And, and that and lyric, just about that lyric doesn't isn't very easy to write around. Like oh, if no. you, I just read it out loud, how would you write music around that? But Roger Waters that's, and Pink Floyd, they did it. That's the genius <laughs> of of this album. It's so genius, yeah. And just you know, just talking about you know, it's it's all a facade that you know you're the whole point is to deceive these people mm-hmm. and and then you get into the next section of the lyrics where he's talking about what happens to the dogs as they get older in the end you'll pack up and fly down south hide your head in the sand just another sad old man all alone dying of cancer mm. just like brutal like Roger Waters has no sympathy for this class of people mm-hmm. because he sees what they're doing to just deceiving and they're just they're money hungry, greedy, and they're just they're they're wild dogs. They're you know, they lure you in with their looks, but then as soon as you get close enough, they rip you to shreds. Mm-hmm. I, I love that part when he comes back in from like the big instrumental section. Uh which, mm-hmm. which has so many things I could go on and on about that section about how musically beautiful it is. But now, are you talking about the, the ambient section in the middle? Right before he comes into And When You Lose Control. Oh, uh, yeah, the whole the, the guitar. Yeah, when he comes uh, back in is, is, is such a good release moment. Yes, it's it such is. a well written musical moment. And mm-hmm. it, it, the music itself kind of tells that story of like oh there stuff is happening right now like oh this is like when the story is happening this is when the dogs are deceiving people and then and when you lose control so now Mm -hmm. we're in a new part of the story i think i think it was i think it was great if that whole even if you don't like that instrumental section i think it needed to be there because it makes the lyrics more powerful Mm-hmm. They're absent. So yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. Then we get to that next section where it's just you know, it's. I love. I think probably my favorite line of the song is in that section when he says, "And when it's too late to lose the weight you used to need to throw around." Ooh. Hmm. I just first off, how do you how do you even sing a lyric like that? And second of all, it's just, it's so good. It's so well written. And it's, it's clever and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, oh. so, and then, yeah, so you go into the whole ambient section and then we'll, we'll talk a, here in a second about kind of musical parts. I just wanted to kind of get right, right. what the song is trying to <laughs> right. say. Right. So David Gilmore is singing everything up to this point. And then we have the long ambient, the drag down by the stone where he's repeating it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back in after quite a while. And this is where Roger Waters actually starts to sing. And it's when the whole perspective of the song changes. Ooh. So. Okay. So really we're kind of like, looking at everything through the dog's eyes up to this point. We're seeing firsthand what the dog does. And now we've switched to the other side of the onlooker. The Really, you can see the sheep where they're, uh, where he's immediately saying, got to admit, but I'm a little bit confused. Sometimes it seems to me like I'm just being used. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like 
because uh, the sheep in this album are supposed to represent the the mindless horde that just does what they're told mm-hmm. and doesn't think twice about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And so he's going now from their perspective, it's just kind of, they're just going to go, wait a second, something's not right here. As they're almost like they just got to see for the first time the dog's world in the first part of the lyrics. And now the sheep are going, what, really? That's what's going on? And it's like the unrest is starting to build. Mm-hmm. That's going to continue to build throughout the rest of the record. Uh-huh, yeah. So, so was this the first one on the record the first song of the well you've got pigs on the wing part one which kind of sets the tone and then yes dogs comes in right at that point okay because i remember listening to it once and i didn't really like it (laughs) i definitely have changed now that i've been able to intentionally like peer into like the themes and the different little things that they're doing and now that i've Mm -hmm. more mature in my musical ear uh yeah but yeah and then yeah and then we get to the final lyrical section the who was section where he just keeps saying who was and then recites a different lyric oh yeah where he's it's kind of the curtain and it brilliantly sets up the next song because he's now saying that as much as we hate the dogs they're not really fully to blame they've been trained to be this way you know they've been They've been given the pat on the back. They were fitted with collar and chain. Mm-hmm. Um, they were taught to um, run with the pack. They, uh, you know, they were they were told and rewarded this behavior. And the question now then becomes: Well, who did this? It's the pigs. The pigs are the ones that are holding the leash of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just in the end, the sheep are not the ones that are truly the um, the ones who lose. It's the dogs themselves. They're the ones that get dragged down by the stone, not the sheep. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that truly lose in the end, because in the end, they have nothing. They've they've lost their career. They've lost their money and they have no one around. They're all alone. Mm -hmm. That and so, yeah. Huh. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that you're here to kind of talk about the themes and stuff. Because <laughs> I, def- <laughs> well, I definitely listen more to music uh, than I do to themes. Yes. So. <laughs> so tell me what you're observing musically. I, I have a lot. We'll try and keep it brief. I'm gonna try We've got a lot of other I'm going to try to keep it brief. I think one of the things that, and obviously it, it is going to come up more in the rest of this set, was that first kind of breakdown instrumental section before and when you lose control there's an e minor seven section and for about uh-huh. like a minute or so it's just e minor seven just e, but it sounds like there's chord changes and stuff because david gilmore does different guitar chord voicings so is that the the section where you gotta hear the dogs barking in the background yes yes before the before the next guitar solo comes mm-hmm. in um and it, it yeah um and then the keys kind of mirror that afterwards um another awesome thing uh in the second section when he says stone the first time and there's that big um 
I get it's it's kind of harmonic, like they do big symphonic vocal harmony, um, mm-hmm. and then it leads perfectly into the stone with the repetition, which I remember yeah. from listening the first time. I remember that I didn't like it. I can I can see now why it's there because it it, it adds a little bit of like atmospheric like oh now they're being dragged down like almost underwater kind of yeah thing and there's that odd tempo change um mm-hmm. we of course had the dark barking dogs not the darking bogs the but, barking dogs but but this time it's through, it's through like, a distorted vocorder right so it, it it sounds like it's almost coming from underwater it well it also sounds like it's almost completely synthesized now that now that yeah. i said the I underwater mean, thing that's, yeah that's actually that's actually Roger Waters himself barking into the microphone. <laughs> that's not a that's not a dog bark that they like how it was earlier in the song that they kind just of altered the sound of it. Like that's that's Roger himself barking into the microphone. Um. Anyway, <laughs> that is huh. Uh, if you're a David Gilmore fan, then this is <laughs> this is the perfect song uh, because. He's he's got like what five guitar solos in this song, and all of them are great. I, yeah, something like that, something like that. And then of course, there's a lot of synth solos. The one that comes right after the the vocoder barking sounds like a dentist drill. I hate to say that, but because <laughs> I'm going to ruin way. that for somebody. <laughs> but uh, it it does make you feel a bit uncomfortable, and I think that's okay. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they're going. I think for. that's okay. Um, and then they go back to the beginning of the song after that. Almost like we, yeah, talked which about, is a... we talked about death last week. Death does that. They do this this kind of one-two punch of like the whole entire structure. And this song structure is the same way. They did the the kind of the one-two section thing and then they have a grand finale at the end. Um, yeah. Which is really cool. So, uh, oh, yeah, I love it. There's so much more to say <laughs> about this song, but let's go ahead and go to the next one. Um, yes, <laughs> I have so many pigs. Words. Three different pigs. Ones. Three different ones. So this this was not the next one, was it on the album? Yes, it, it is. It the next is one on the album. Okay. Well. <laughs> okay. So it just it felt right to kind of just keep, especially you know we're following the thematic moving of you know we've been re- it's been revealed who is holding the leash and it's the pig. So let's talk about those pigs, right? And uh, immediately we have one of my favorite Roger Waterisms, which is uh, the "haha, Sharad, you are." Oh, oh, I love that too. Yeah, that's never not fun to sing along to, and to just like whatever whoever person you're imagining when you're singing along to it, and just putting that that venom into it, into that laugh, the "haha." Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so good. Really and so Roger Waters sings this whole song. Ooh, okay. But he does not play bass on this song. Oh, he, he actually plays rhythm guitar. It's David Gilmore playing a fretless bass, playing those tasty bass solos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And of course, uh, you know, he's doing the lead guitar as well, doing that, um, that talk box solo yeah and then there's as well as that that searing guitar solo at the end there's like some reverby guitars during that so how do they perform this like tracks or um does he just have eight arms like 
<laughs> no, they, uh, I actually don't know how they performed this in the 70s, but whenever I saw Roger Waters at the BOK a couple years ago, they did this song, and boy, did it sound good. They had, but of course, you know, he, sure. he had a ton of extra musicians yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But man, it was really good. Um, so, uh, so like, let's go ahead and and let's talk about who are who are these three different pigs. Ooh, okay. You mean from Pink Floyd's perspective? Yes. I don't know the answer to this question. I I, I know it has something so, to do with Mary and the White House, maybe. Yes, <laughs> Mary Whitehouse was um, a infamous figure in the um, in the London entertainment scene because oh, she was they're the same. She thing. was an advocate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> so she um, she was an advocate for censorship in music, oh. which you know, especially especially a guy like Roger Waters, he hates censorship Yeah, because he sees it as, you know, fascist authoritarianism, mm-hmm. which he is in stark um, opposition for. Mm-hmm. Always has been, always will be. And, uh, but that's actually the only pig that we know for sure who he's talking about. I've done a lot of research on this to try and figure out who the other two are. And I think that they're not about specific people, but rather just, it, you know, they could be Margaret Thatcher. It could be other members of the English um, government. Just kind of you look at kind of what he's saying and it's just, you know, the pigs are the people in the highest seats of power, which he's looking at as the government. Oh, yeah. The people that the people with influence, the people that um, are in bed with the dogs. Mm-hmm but are the ones that ultimately have all the power because you look at English government, like government, government is all, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you've got obviously your monarch. That's just, you know, they can pretty much, I'm going to say this slightly ignorantly because I haven't done a lot of like research into how the English government works, but just from what I know, that it's not as balanced as the American government is, which the American <laughs> government is still so unbalanced. But that just shows just how more unbalanced it is in England. Right. Right. Again, if I'm wrong about how this is structured, forgive me. I'm just going off of what I've seen and what I've heard. Yeah. Um, so if, if I'm offending anyone any of our listeners from England with incorrectly describing your government, I apologize. Uh, we don't live um, there, so we don't really know for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but just Roger Rogers, that's that's what he's railing against. Mm-hmm. And he is he is not holding any punches at all. In a song where he is directly attacking um, the head of censorship, he drops an F word right in the middle of yeah, the song. Yeah, that's true. You effed up old hag. I mean, that's just, I think that that's about Margaret Thatcher. Mm. Because she was, she was the prime minister at the time. And she is an incredibly polarizing figure. I do know that for sure. 
What her policies are, I don't know. I just know that in English history, there are people who love her and people that hate her with an undying passion. Hmm. I didn't know that so many people hated her. I thought she was just universal. Kind of like, kind of like Ronald, kind of like Ronald Reagan. Depends on kind of what party you see. The Republicans think that Ronald Reagan was next to Abe Lincoln as like the greatest president uh-huh. of all time. Uh huh. Because he promoted conservatism so heavily. Mm-hmm. But if you were a liberal or a Democrat, like Ronald Reagan is one of the most hated presidents of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, can see I that. think I can see that. So I kind of it's just. It depends on kind of where your political leanings lie. Um, it's it's it was also shown more deeply in the album the Final Cut how much um, Roger Waters hates Margaret Thatcher. So it's very easy to see her as being one of the three pigs. Okay, that makes sense. Um, if you're wanting to go to the musical parts of this, there's not as much musically here. Yes. As much as there is it's, just kind of like a... I, uh, this song is not as much about different sections. Yeah. This is more of just like a funked out jam. It's a funked out jam and with like some serious like attitudinal, I don't want to say issues, but at, attitude yeah. from Roger Waters. Yeah. You know, it's it's not as musically constructed as Dogs, but there's some some cool nuances in there. Um, like for example, yeah. that when he's saying "Sharad, you are," that's a that's a really good uh, six four one progression. That uh huh for that for a song that doesn't change chords a lot, that's a big progression. So yeah, uh, especially because the melody goes right off to the the major second, major third, and it's it sounds really uh, major. And, and kind of like <laughs> in your face kind of major. Uh, yeah. If there was one. Um, and it definitely does oh, get yeah. really experimental towards the middle where you got the pig oinking and then you have like that six minor five progression, you know, which is in yeah, yeah, and then it goes to like a four and then a sharp two major, which is the equivalent of like being an E minor and then doing C and B flat. Huh. I think that's what they do. And it the first time I listened to it, I was like, what in the world is going on? But I, I realized afterwards that it's just like they're just trying to do something weird. Like they're yeah. just trying to they're just trying to there's jamming out. You know, I don't think it has anything to yeah. do with the the theme or, or anything. I think it's just them coming up with weird sounding stuff. Um another well yeah. But you do have the, uh, I do believe that the vocoder solo, or not vocoder, or talk box is meant to mimic pig sounds. Aha. Uh-huh. I think that's why he goes with that sound there. Not sure just it sounds well. cool, but yeah. <laughs> hey. uh, so, there's another, yeah, there's another and, repeated structure as well. Um, on, uh-huh. on the third song we were talking about this album, it also does that repeat structure where it just does the structure twice mm-hmm. um yeah so uh yeah okay in in the interest of not boring everybody let's go ahead and move on uh yes so, so we have our we have an incredibly angry song a very aggressive about as aggressive and in your face as pink floyd ever got yeah and 
at this point, I felt like it was time to kind of switch gears and introduce something soothing and beautiful. Oh, yes. This song was so close to becoming my favorite. So close. Oh, just because, it's close to being my favorite, too. Just because David Gilmore, uh, the way that he does his guitar parts is it during this era, especially is it's very atmospheric. You're definitely put mm-hmm. in an environment. I can definitely see like where we are. It's kind of like that one scene in black Panther when he's like in the astral realm and like the sky is bright, but it's night kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But by the way, this, this song is pulls apart. Oh, sorry, we didn't even talk about the name of the song. Yeah. Pulls apart <laughs> off the division bell. Um, yeah. But you can still hear every strike of the string. Uh-huh. And that's something that's really hard to do sonically, but he figured it out. He also figured it out compositionally. And I think I think it's great. And I think this is I can I'm slowly coming along to your side of David Gilmore is the greatest guitar player of all time. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. Uh this song, this is, definitely- song is such is such a strong argument to that yeah. claim. Mm-hmm. Every, every every decision is the right decision in this song mm-hmm. to where just I remember hearing this song for the first time and just like immediately I had to w- listen to it again because I was just like, oh, my God, I'm I'm this is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, his voice on this, uh, it, it's obviously changed since the animals era. But it's it's more uh-huh. kind of relaxed, more. I don't want to say soothing, but kind of. Yeah. Um, it's it's it sits in that um in that us and them comfortably numb part yeah. that he was so good at yeah. being in the classic period um, when he's not having to sing mm-hmm. angry Roger Waters lyrics. Mm-hmm. And and there's there's a there's kind of a more wall of sound to this compared to the the animal songs. There's like yeah. a steel guitar in there. I can I can kind of hear. Um, everything's mixed mm-hmm. a little bit less dry. There's more reverb and delay on everything. Um, At this point in their career, they just they knew how to mix everything. They perfect. do so well. Yeah, and that's why um, "Momentary Lapse of Reason" is is my favorite Pink Floyd album. Um, have you listened to the Division Bell yet? I have not listened all the way through, but the judging, Division Bell is better. Judging Man. on this song, I'm gonna think I I'm gonna want to listen to that. <laughs> yes, uh, this, I think I think overall, like Momentary Lapse of Reason is great. The Division Bell is a step above. Like, not only does everything sound better, which is hard because Momentary sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Division Bell is one of the most perfect sounding records I've ever heard. And the songs are just so good. Mm, I mean, this one's great. So um, we'll we'll do an episode where we look more in depth at the Division Bell because I'm excited to kind of highlight some songs from that. But uh, lyrically... I think that this song also does really well after Pigs because this song is a it's it's pretty much about Roger Waters because as you know when he left the band that was the biggest feud was between uh Waters and Gilmore hmm. just because you know Waters wanted to have complete control of the band and David was just like mm, no I want to have control now that makes so, more sense than what I thought it was. <laughs> what did you think it was? Well, okay, so in that little atmospheric part, I kind of heard like 
church bells and then there was sounded like a bike or something and then like a car not a, no no it was footsteps and then there was like a baby crying and then the footsteps again and then like a car driving away and and so i thought it was like somebody being like orphaned and then like them meeting up like his meeting his brother like his biological brother later in life that's what i thought it was huh <laughs> interesting i'm gonna choose i to think believe that, that no, i think it's a really beautiful I think, story <laughs> i think that there's some merit to maybe that being the literal meaning but that it's maybe supposed to be metaphorical because i mean the whole fact that he you know he is talking about how it's just like roger waters was always his own worst enemy and that for a long time i would say until about after the division mail came out david was kind of the one that was always attempting to reach out Mm -hmm. to him and roger was always slamming the door in his face and by the mid 90s david was kind of just like yeah well screw you two i'm done trying to be friendly towards you to when in the 2000s when roger tried to be friendly again david was just like eh, i'm done with you Ooh. okay wow so i feel like i feel like that that's kind of what they're getting especially you know that's a very on the nose reference of saying hey you at the beginning of one of the verses hmm that's you know mm-hmm. that that's a big clue right there that he's talking to roger because that's one of the songs that he wrote. Hmm. So I guess my big question for this one is why would you consider it an epic? I mean, it's it's the shortest song of the list, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much the same length as Welcome to the Machine. Yeah, it's, okay. To, to me, again, I, I don't want to... Maybe labeling these songs as epics is not quite the right word. It's more of all the songs have sonic journeys. Okay. And this song absolutely is a sonic journey. That's true. It's it's a more unorthodox and maybe a little more straightforward than the other ones are, but I think that the set is made better and propped up with that emotion that it needs yeah. in this Especially song. after the, the weird animal songs. I mean we needed something kind of normal. Yeah, we needed we needed something to kind of like to lift spirits and it was a nothing does uh, that better than that than that incredible guitar solo at the end oh yeah classic david gilmore i mean I, I have notes on this song one of my notes is literally classic gilmore solo yes <laughs> that, that even at the end of their career he was still churning out all-time great solos and they were sounding i don't want to say they were sounding the same that sounds bad but they were sounding just as good as they did at the beginning Yes. Uh, and and Absolutely. once again, the simple chord progression to end on, just a nice 4-1. Uh, that's, that's, you know, 1-4 is a classic uh, thing to kind of build build a little bit of tension, maybe kind of mm-hmm. be like a verse. Uh, but the 4-1. That, that drum build after the ambient section. Yes. The full beat. Oh, and man. it goes to double time from what it was. So- it sounds uh-huh. it it's, sounds it's, like, oh, we're moving somewhere. We're somewhere kind of in the future now. Uh-huh. Is what it sounds like to me. That is, that's exactly what I feel it is. Okay. Kind of like the rain. I feel flow. like the last verse the last verse is is closure to all of the 
the struggle that goes on the first two verses. Mm-hmm. It's the, the first two verses is just, is that attempt to reconnect and it's not working. And the final verse is being at peace with the fact that, you know, you've done everything you can, um, you know, it, you, it's okay if there isn't peace, if you know that you've done everything you could, you don't have to have regrets of what if I could have tried more. You've tried everything you could. Now just let it be and move on with your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's even better than what I thought it was. All right, I'm changing the meaning of the song to that. I'm changing my mental meaning of Again, the song. Again, <laughs> there's, no, there's no wiki page that says, this song was written about so-and-so. This right. is just what I infer. And just, again, knowing the people of Pink Floyd, where they were at that time, it's so easy to see that as being the explanation. I can see it. But I, see I don't... It mm-hmm. it, what's, it's what makes the most sense to me. And it makes sense to me now, you know, especially because you've kind of filled me in a little bit on their history. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, another, so here, another noble so here's, thing, I guess, was that sonically they've moved away from some some harsh keys. Like, the Animals songs had some really harsh keys uh, sounds, and that, that one was, was kind of just there, I guess. Yeah. So... Anyway, and that's know. again that's that comes from who was the who was the architect, right? Um, you know, yes, Gilmore was in charge of a lot of the sonic architect, even in Animals, but he was not the main compositional writer. Now at that point, Roger was doing a lot of the um, decision making in that area as well as lyrically and thematically. All right, this Animals was the beginning of him taking control in areas that he normally was not involved with to where he started to shut out the other members of the band in serving his overall message that he wanted to preach. Hmm. Well, I think that should take us to my favorite song of the set. Ooh, <laughs> I think it might be mine too. Sheep. So the reason that sheep is my favorite song of the set is as I was going through the set, um, I would make like notes of different parts that I liked because obviously these are really long songs. And so they're just a bunch of parts that are kind of for better or for worse smashed together. And I would say for better. Uh Um, But I noticed that I put the most parts that I liked on sheep. Very interesting. Um, I mean, per, per unit time, uh, obviously echoes has more parts that I liked. I didn't like them as much. Um, but, but sheep consistently throughout the song, it had high energy. It was written well. There was good chord chemistry. It was classic, simple chord progressions. And there was also the real interesting atmospheric breakdowns as well. I mean, you kind of had the best of both worlds. Like I'm, I'm, uh, the kind of person who likes upbeat music, you know, that, that kind Mm -hmm. of classic rock kind of stuff when it comes to seventies. Um, yeah and this definitely had it. this had it to the max i loved it i loved the ending especially um oh yeah the we'll whole, talk about that in a minute the whole thing everywhere from the bluesy keys intro to the interlude that sounds like pokemon and the the motif comes back the stone motif comes back yeah uh-huh. dogs anyway. which again i think it really helps that we're 
kind of keeping all of these songs together in one update. Right. Or one episode because um, it's allowing me to be able to incorporate elements where we're calling where there's these callbacks that you they make sense in the set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like if I had just had sheep. Yeah. And you hear and you go, well, what, where's that? Why is that weird echo in there for no reason? Yeah. Yeah. When you're listening to the set if you, and you've <laughs> never heard the songs, you hear that and you go, oh, that calls back to the beginning of the set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, one thing I did notice was you had one of these days as the first song of the original Pink Floyd set. Yes, it did. The uh-huh. bass line for this song sounds a lot like that. Yeah, it's pretty similar. It's the it's same kind of similar. that driving rhythm. It was, yeah, it was really, it was really driving. Um, and the drums were not classic Pink Floyd drums for the most part. They were yeah. actual, like, I don't want to say actual drumming, okay? Because <laughs> oh, I don't want to say that. Because the rest of the drumming on this whole set is still valid. But it's what it, it's what it needs to be, but it's not traditional drumming. It's not traditional. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not traditional drumming. This is traditional drumming, but yeah. it's done with the Pink Floyd flavor. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, before I, before I keep talking about the music parts of this song, I think you should talk about the meaning. Yeah. So now we've arrived to the third um, class of people, which is the sheep, and obviously this is meant to symbolize like kind of the mass populace yeah like where it's just the people that have no positions of power that just believe everything that they're told they do what they're you know they do what you say Mm -hmm. they don't ask questions they're docile they're easily fooled um and all they do is they live to consume Mm. Mm. they're just they're they're commodities you know the way that we would view a sheep is they're only valuable if they're they do what we need from them which is we need them to grow wool we need them to you know keep our pastures well grazed you know we don't we don't look at a sheep and marvel at its intellectual capacity or its or its attitude or its charismatic personality only what it can get us uh-huh exactly mm. <laughs> and because you know they're just a they're just a, a cute thing to look at i was not thinking, much else i was thinking like almost like a mindless drone kind of like sheep you know how people are sheep exactly okay oh so it's also that okay so it's both okay i mean that's pretty much what i'm getting at again okay. um, they're 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 mindless consumers gotcha 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 um you know a sheep is no good without a shepherd Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which would be the pig. and the shepherd and these shepherds yeah. tend to be pigs and they've got their sheep dogs keeping mm. them corralled uh-huh. so of course we've got we've got the return of the dogs where we've got that line you better watch out there might be dogs about uh... the sheep are terrified of the dogs they don't know to be terrified terrified of the pigs it's the dogs that they're worried about Oh, and so that's why the dogs are the ones who get dragged down and the pig and the sheep are the ones uh-huh. who survive. Yeah. So, yeah, you have the so you have the incredible when we have that breakdown, we have that weird 
uh, vocorder section where it sounds like it's uh, the 23rd Psalm. Oh, says, yes. The Lord is my the Lord shepherd. Is my I, shepherd shall I shall not want. He leads me down to die. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking about that. Uh, whether it was with me or on the podcast uh, previously, it was it was when we were listening to the songs. I had I had brought that up. I remember that. Oh, um, but see, through I that whole section, from a long time before that. Yeah, but through that whole section, it's really hard to tell what he's saying once kind of the instruments start to come in. But right. the whole gist is that this is the point when the sheep wake up, and it says that they learn to master karate, which <laughs> I think is just like you know. I'm glad that they kind of have a little bit of a humorous tone in there with that, even though it's still kind of creepy. Because mm-hmm. um, that's like one of the coolest parts of the whole set is when it goes to that wow, that, yeah. that weird, those those synth sounds while the bass is still driving underneath. Oh, that's such and, a good part. It's such a good part. And then, yeah. And then, but when he comes back, back in and he says we fell upon their necks with a scream and then he does this maniacal laugh it's just you can imagine like these enraged sheep just all of a sudden turning on the dogs and like eating them yeah yeah and mm-hmm. them just like and them like like having this sadistic joy in it it's, that, it's not they're not weird. killing for survival they're killing because they are mad and they, you know, because the sheep are not being killed. So this is not a survival uprising. This is a, we're not going to take it anymore. We're going th- to go, we're going to plunge everything into anarchy. It, it's, it's such, he's it's not such saying a, that. It's such a who he's, scream. Yeah. It sounds like, not, a, a, uh, oh, oh, what's the song? Where it's, um, won't get fooled again. Uh-huh. Look at so that. So what he's. I think what he's saying is that not necessarily that this is what the sheep should do, but this is what it's inevitably going to happen if we push them to their brink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you just, you have that line. Have you heard the news? The dogs are dead. I think that line was so well delivered. Honestly, uh-huh. that's the, that's the line I remember the most from the first time listening yeah. to it. Other than of course the, he leads me down to die. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, you wouldn't have caught unless I brought that up to you, right? And 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 he says it almost as like, "Hey, the dogs are dead. Like we can do what we want now," kind of thing. Almost. Yeah, it's excitement, and then and then you have that triumphant guitar line that comes in, yes. kind of symbolizing the sheep's victory. That's such a good part because the whole that whole section is one note. The bass is doing one note. The keys are doing one note every the 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 drums are pretty much carrying the beat pretty much uh i said pretty much three times now (laughs) he's got some he's Um, got some good fills in there though that's true that's true but it's the guitar that's carrying that harmonic change and by the way that's my favorite that's my favorite that's my favorite part of the whole set yeah me too me too it carries that happy cathartic energy of its own it almost sounds like this should be the end of the set yeah, which it's not. I think I'm glad again it's, it's intentional. I kind of I I think that there should still be it's it leads the room for the kind of the final big moment. That's true. That's true. Um, but still staying on sheep. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this is this is kind of it. 
this is the end of the miniature arc within the larger arc of the entire set. Yes. Yes. So it's you know it's it's satisfying that that ending that starts with dogs and and really almost like the songs themselves are telling a story. You've got, you know, the intro with Welcome to the Machine where, you know, you're being introduced to this hard cruel world and then immediately you're greeted once you get into this world by the dogs. Mhm. And then you are revealed to have the pigs. And then you take a step back. You have your moment of humanity before, before the sh- the sheep uprising. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna see with the last song, kind of what do we do now that we've rediscovered our humanity? Yes. How do we how do we grapple with it? <laughs> uh, do Do you mean you want to move on to the next song now? Um. <laughs> Sure, let's go I ahead. Could. I definitely could. Um, there's so many things I could talk about Sheep, but I think it's just, all I have to say about it is it's my favorite song of the set. And I think that's enough. <laughs> I think that's enough to say about it. Uh, it was just so good. Okay. Uh, so next song is... The final song. The final song. It is the final song. It's Echoes off Echoes. of Metal. And metal was yes. before Dark Side of the Moon, so we're still kind of in that weird psychedelic period, not quite accessible period. This this song and the album overall is the is Pink Floyd's big turning point. Aha. Uh-huh. This is their transitional record where they've got a foot in each world. Okay. So um, you've got a lot of the psychedelic soundscape of their early work. And you've got, you hear a lot of dark side of the moon in this song. I think Mm -hmm. that in the way that the verses are constructed, the way that it's sung, it's like, you can hear like the seeds of what they would do with songs like breathe and us and them. Mm -hmm. And just kind of you, you can tell that that's the direction they're going to start heading. It, it really in does. My like opinion, brain damage. Yeah. Honestly. In my opinion, <laughs> this song and Shine On You Crazy Diamond are kind of almost like the quintessential Pink Floyd songs as far as they contain every element of all of their periods rolled into one. You've got the sonic exploration. You've got the psychedelic side. You also have the um, the very melodically informed side of the classic period. Mm-hmm. You have the sharp attention to sonic detail of the later era. It just it kind of has everything that Pink Floyd would do rolled into one twenty three minute song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you got that little bit of funk in there too. Which is my favorite mm-hmm. part. That's my favorite part. Was the little oh yeah the funk jam. I, it's not my favorite part, but it's one of them. <laughs> well, I'm curious to, to me, see what it is. But uh, yeah, well, to me, it's those verses. Uh huh. I, I love the verses of these songs. Let's go, not let's just melodically, the, but lyrically. Let's go through the meaning of this song because I have struggled to find the meaning at all. I'm gonna so have this to, is, I'm gonna have to guess. Just to feel good okay, about so it. Okay, so let me hear your let me okay. hear your guess first. Okay, so I think that it's like I feel like there's a lyric in there somewhere where he says like echoes of a distant time or something, and and there's that big 
like ghostly Black Sabbath esque section in the middle, you know. And I mm-hmm. think like the guitar shrieking are the echoes, and maybe it's like I don't know. It's so, it's something about like looking to the past and like realizing that the past has some influence on us now. Maybe <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, it's that's that's part of it. Okay. Pretty much the whole the whole song is dealing in a metaphysical way about the meaning of humanity in general. Okay. And just the the whole the the theme of the song that it decides to envelop itself in is the ocean. Uh the it's the reason why the first note in the song is meant to echo a uh no pun intended, a submarine ping. Hmm. It does, and it's actually the, it's it's that one note that inspired them writing the entire song. They were fooling around the studio, and and Rick Wright hit that note on the piano, and they were like, "Huh, that's really cool sounding. Do it again." And then they started to construct the song around that. Wow, one note. Yep. <laughs> yeah, leave it to Pink Floyd to do that. Uh huh. That's crazy. And it was at a time when they were struggling to create new material. Hmm. And it's the reason why this, this album was the big turning point is because they were tired of, they felt like they were treading the same ground over and over again. And they were like, we need a new direction to go in. And Echoes was the song that kind of was the catalyst for that change. Hmm. So, um, so you've got a lot of this water, ocean, analogy in the lyrics like a lot of the um a lot of the imagery is you know overhead the albatross hangs motionless across the air albatross is a seabird um everything is green and submarine um the echo of a distant tide comes billowing across the sand oh distant tide oh yeah that changes things So, you know, you've got, I believe that what he's saying is just that there's a primordial um, spirit of humanity that metaphorically lies within the ocean of every man and that it manifests itself in our everyday life, which is why in the second verse it switches to like normal day to day strangers passing in the street by chance two separate glances meet and I am you and what I see is me. Which and huh. one of my all time favorite Roger Water lyrics. That's kind of deep. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's about, you know, seeing that, you know, we're all the same. Right. And that we we are all echoes of each other. Hmm. Each echo is a little bit different. But it's all coming from the same source, from this same deep ocean primordial place, wherever that may be. He's just choosing to envelop it in in the ocean imagery, first off, because it makes for the opportunity for some great sonic um, experimentations. But also just, you know, it creates this mysticism about the nature of humanity, because Roger Waters has kind of been pretty clear about him not following any kind of religious dogma it's kind of more he liked it's especially in that era everything was painted in this mythical metaphysical sense and so to kind Mm -hmm. of put the 
the entire human collective consciousness in a mysterious place like the bottom of the ocean is very Pink Floyd to do. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the first. It's also the really among the first time in Roger Waters' lyrics that he's dealing with the nature of humanity that he would become so obsessed with on albums like Dark Side and Wish You Were Here, where he gets more, I guess, concrete with it. But this is his attempt to kind of, you know, he still wants to be viewed as a poetic writer to where he's not spelling things out so um, obvious and black and white. But to where he can kind of Mm -hmm. cloak everything in this, because, you know, that's what Pink Floyd was known for at that time. They were this mysterious, enigmatic band. They didn't write simple love songs or songs that had these easy to find meanings. Mm. No, evidently so, because I I didn't even get close to hitting the nail on the head. <laughs> so now again, so I guess the, I'm not ocean... saying that this is correct, but from my again, from drawing on context clues, this is where I feel he's drawing the song from. So would would you say that this this ocean theme also has to do with like the album cover art? Yes. What Absolutely. is that cover art? I can't even tell what it is. It took me a long time to figure out what it was. And it was in, it was until someone told me what it was that it like became so clear. It's an ear underwater. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Okay. <laughs> um, well, wait. Okay. Keep it's, talking so it's not silent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't know how long it was. Say, say, say what you want to say right now because I'm, I'm occupied. Yeah, so I think <laughs> I just the whole sound of echoes. It has this very wet, washy sound to it. Again, they're just they're they're really going all in with the ocean um, mythology in this, and I think that the cover art is an extension of that. You know, a lot of the sounds on this song and in other parts of the album as well feel like they're coming. Like you're hearing it from the bottom of the ocean. Hmm. I somehow I don't see it. I don't see the ear yet. I will it's, eventually. It's it's sideways. I, just, I have to orient myself correctly. Whoa! You're right. There it is. That is weird. That I always thought it was like the tail of a dolphin, but they like made it look weird with like the black spot or something. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. That's an ear. Oh, you have to you have to look at the you have to look at the full album art. That makes it look more normal now. Uh, okay. okay. Well, that makes sense because, you know, that's actually kind of psychedelic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get in <laughs> musically what's going on here. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. On here. Uh-huh. Um, lots of creepy stuff. Uh, another song that kind of sounds like Pokemon at the beginning with the synth sounds. Um, and the whole, like, first two minutes it's the same chord it's pretty atonal there's not really a melody you know as far as the piano goes mm-hmm. um and they're, there's, the they're actually, gradually adding themselves I, i'm pretty sure they are actually bouncing between two chords because i've actually i've chorded this out before to play on piano and i'm he's going between c sharp minor and f sharp minor and yeah interest. eventually he eventually he does go to the f sharp minor um but that like it takes it takes a few minutes to get there, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, and, originally he is sticking on, but then, yeah, it does eventually switch over when the guitar really yeah. starts to come in. Right. One one thing that's really good when you're trying to, like, build a song is to kind of hang on that one chord, and when you want to release the, I mean, the music theory, depending upon, uh, or according to the circle of fifths, if you wanted to release, you want to go to the four chord and they go straight to the four chord after about two and a half minutes. And that's, that's a release. They kind of push off the, from, I guess they push off from the docking bay or the, the bay or the, whatever it is. I very much view the structure of the song as a journey across the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And and that makes sense now that I say that out loud. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, but the, the, the guitar is great tone during this part. Um, it sounds kind of stringy, you know, on the right-hand side. He kind of makes his guitars sound uh, a lot like a, like a string section of an orchestra. It's kind of reverby. Mm-hmm. It, it's got that, a little bit of that wall of sound aspect to it. It's adding just a little bit of extra detail to make the mood what it needs to be. And then, of course, they eventually drop into that release with the, the first verse. Yeah. Um, and that eventually in that verse, they do change in both verses. They change to major, uh-huh. which kind of gives you like a hope of something like, oh, there's like a bit of optimism here. And then the eventual change back to minor is kind of sad. Yeah. And, then, and I don't I, I think that was intentional. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how it fits into the mood, but. And then, yeah, you've got that that um, chromatic riff that plays after each verse. Yes. Yes. Um, it, uh, it's kind of, it's that six minor four progression, classic progression. Uh, it's in, uh, it's in La Via Strangiato. That's the first thing that came to my mind when okay. I thought about that. Um, but they have a chromatic way of transitioning between both notes. Uh, it eventually goes to a one five and then six flat diminished or something, which doesn't make much sense you know saying it out loud but of course it's it's the chromatic build back into that six minor where they go into that bluesy groove uh-huh <laughs> and i love that part yeah so much i figured that that Woo! would be your favorite part because they uh, it's not my favorite part of the whole set it's my favorite part of the whole song it it, it go it gets so uh funky it does and and uh the keys are right in the pocket Mm-hmm. They're right where they need to be. Really jazzy. Really gets your head bopping, you know? And Dave Gilmore uh, gives us a very different kind of solo. Yes, I was about to mention about that. It's, it's not too much. It's not the, the kind of David Gilmore of like, oh, wow, every note is like absolutely perfect. I mean, every note is every, every note is still perfect. But it's, it's not the soaring solo comfortably not. Yeah, you know, it's 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 more of maybe more of like another brick in the wall kind. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is the is the closest one I can think to. Um, they do speed up during this part. I mean, they're not you. You mentioned you know they're not known for being a really tight band. They're known for their uh, emotional building. Yeah. I mean, you building. listen to you listen to early Floyd, and the tempos are all over the place, and not by intention. It's just that's just how they played. They kind of more would tighten up like 
towards the end of the 70s. Like, they're really mm-hmm. tight on the wall, but that's, you know, that's more of because Roger Waters specifically wanted it to be that way. Um, uh-huh. like you listen to a lot of early Floyd, it's all over the place, but that's part of its charm and its intention. Right. And, and that, that slow buildup, it, it's kind of, it makes me think of Stairway, you know, Stairway does that as well. Where as you go through this part of the song, it's not so fast that it's like threatening. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like it's building towards something, but it's, at the same time, you don't want it to end. I believe it's building towards the night, which is the next part of the song, or at least what I feel is the next, what it symbolizes. That it's, makes more sense than what I thought it was going to be. It's going to be like the, a storm. This, or the storm. Although I feel it's more like I, night. I feel like it's more of just like it's it's an impenetrable fog because you can hear all of like the the nature around you, but it's not the storm. It's just it's more of this eerie quiet and the sense yeah. that there's just no end in sight. It's directionless, it's the loss of hope, it's um you know, you can hear the birds and the whales, but you have no idea where the light is i think is this a a part of the song where they like try to do some spectrograph spectrogram stuff uh, i'm talking about i don't know what that means (laughs) (laughs) so okay so one thing that some artists will do to like hide little easter eggs in their songs is uh put like an image in the song through a spectrograph so spectrograph Hmm. will map out the song over time uh, in an image. And so the image on the uh, horizontal axis is going to be time. And then on the vertical axis is going to be the uh, frequency. So it's kind of like an EQ spectrum changing with time. What some artists will do is they will actually take an image and then convert that to a changing EQ spectrum and then put it in a song. So when somebody plays it back through a spectrograph or a spectrogram or whatever it's called, they'll see like the image. That's what I thought this was when I first listened to it. I don't, I feel like I would have known <laughs> about that. Okay. <laughs> so I don't think that that's going on here. Also, okay. this is 1971 and that sounds like something that. Uh... <laughs> that's also true, but like they were also doing quadraphonics. That's true. <laughs> I've, I've never heard of this technology, so it's something I'd have to look into more. Uh, okay but you know this whole section is where like a lot of casual listeners would hear and just go oh this is garbage this is this isn't even music this is stupid this is just whale noises and oh really oh yeah because i wanted to copy people have told me i wanted to copy it when i heard it (laughs) people people have listened to this part i'm just like oh go to the next song and i'm just like no you're missing the point the mm-hmm. whole point of this is when that when the music starts to creep back in, that pad starts to slowly fade in. I can just see as like the fog and the clouds are starting to part, and that first mm-hmm. little ray of light just starts to peek in. Yeah, and and those guitar shrieks mm-hmm. that were happening during this part kind of die out. Yeah, it's not as creepy. It's not as like. The fact that David Gilmore, first of all, can make his guitar sound like it's screaming in pain. Yeah. Is pretty cool. He's such a wizard. Uh, 
it, it, it is. He is. Uh, but but you're right. It does kind of sound like, oh, it's the morning now. Yeah. And the, the whole build as they, man, they really do such a good job of like pulling themselves back in and really taking their time with it. Another band I could see like kind of getting ahead of themselves and wanting to like get back to it. But they spend like a good like three or four minutes building this back up to that final verse. Mm-hmm. But I think it's perfectly mm-hmm. paced. I think it's perfectly paced too. If they did it faster, it would sound like they're fading from one thing to another thing to another thing instead of it being a true like telling journey. a story. It's not yeah, it's 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 actually a story. And it it does I'm gonna admit it does sound like something I would have done when I was in middle school. Um, <laughs> but the, but it's surrounded by music that makes it make sense yes so it it yes it is something i would do in middle school but it's masterfully done yeah it's it's not just there mm-hmm. it, it has a purpose and I'm, I'm glad that you're here to talk with me about that because i would not have picked up the fact that this this fog or the night or whatever i just kind of liked it uh, that's how i've always viewed it. it it makes sense now um but uh, anyway, so then we got another verse. Yeah, and this verse is is always very because again this this is also what makes me gives me the the feeling of mourning because he talks about you know opening the window and letting in a million bright ambassadors of mourning, mm. and this mm-hmm. idea of sleep and waking. No one sings me lullabies and no one makes me close my eyes. Um, it's just it's this feeling of of like after coming through this journey that some kind of enlightenment or maturity has occurred. Hmm. You've, you've come from the other side of the journey, a wiser man. Uh, okay. That's a bit of a stretch, but okay. That's what I, that's, I can that's see what it. I feel. I can see it. He I'll doesn't, he doesn't need anyone to console him anymore. Like he said, no one, now no one sings me lullabies and no one makes me close my eyes. Like, it's just like, it's, I'm not a kid anymore that has to be soothed to sleep or told to go to sleep. It's just, you know, I am in control of my destiny now. Okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. Makes sense. Makes you sense. have to go um, through the darkness mm-hmm. to fully appreciate the light. And once you do the wisdom, you have acquired wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so then, and then, yeah, there's we a, have the we have the fade out from there. Yeah, and and there's a. Well, yes, yes, there is because there's kind of that that six minor, three minor, two minor, three minor that chromatic riff. Yeah. Um. And the guitar licks kind of fade into that piano droning note. Mm-hmm. And as the as the wind slowly the... as this wind builds in intensity, kind of whisking yeah. away to whatever the future holds, and and it kind of sounds like a shepherd's tone. You know what a shepherd's tone is? Uh, remind me. Okay, so it's a uh, it's a bunch of stacked sine waves, and so uh, they'll all be increasing in frequency, but as you go higher and higher, eventually they'll just fade out, and then they'll fade in from the lower frequencies and so it always sounds like it's 
rising in pitch, huh. but nothing ever happens. It's just repeating itself. That's, that's kind of what it sounds like to me at the end. It almost sounds like you are getting whisked away. You're not just fading into the fog. You're like almost getting whisked away into a fog that's going to take you into another realm dimension. of existence. Yeah. Realm of existence. Not to go too much doors on you, but you've, you've another gradu- plane of existence. You've graduated from this reality. <laughs> you've leveled up. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Kind of, actually. Uh, but well, anyway, that there's that was... so much more in this song. We could spend like an hour talking about this song. So I think we should, we should cut it off here. Yeah. I felt uh, like this was a great pressing. way to... I felt like it was a great way to end the set. You know, again, we yeah. could have ended with sheep if we were lesser beings, but, um, you know, especially if we're going to talk about, if we're going to theme an episode around musical journeys, I mean, that's the musical journey to end all musical journeys as far as Pink Floyd. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it literally maps out a journey throughout its song. So. All right. Well. Well, we're going to take okay. a break. Thank you for uh, listening to that very long segment. <laughs> yeah and wow. uh, we're gonna briefly talk about uh our bonus song give our final thoughts and then uh we will be finished up so stick with us when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just spent a really long time getting <laughs> deep into Pink Floyd. Um, just to recap, those songs were Welcome to the Machine, Dogs, Pigs, Three Different Ones, Pulls Apart, Sheep, and Echoes. And now it's time to talk about the bonus song. What, for those who are listening to us for the very first time, is a bonus song, Grant? Well, uh, first of all, you shouldn't be listening to us for the very first time. Should be at well, least the second. Yeah, episode. that's right. But that's right. let's say if you didn't obey the rules, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> then a bonus song is kind of a song that we choose to be almost like a little extra companion piece to the main artist that we're talking about from an artist who, for whatever reason, we're not going to give them their own episode. Um, and so it's an artist that's related somehow, maybe the same genre, maybe it's a side project of uh, one of the members of like the main artist, um, or somehow it's, it's related to the main episode, and we just want to kind of showcase uh, this piece of music. So our bonus song this week is A Wider Shade of Pale by Prokel Harum. Yes, which, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what kind of <laughs> band name that is. I don't. It well, it's kind of like a Pink Floyd, but Latin, <laughs> almost. Yeah. What's the, what's the relation? So the connection here is um, Proclaharum is considered kind of almost like a precursor to the progressive scene that would unfurl obviously this song does not sound 
much like anything of what Prague would turn into. But at the time, this was a highly experimental and strange-sounding song when it came out in the mid-60s. Oh, mid-60s. Okay, I got you there. Yeah, this would be experimental. This is this has kind of been considered like one of the most influential songs of all time. No way. As far as just kind of it's like just really introducing a new way of approaching songcraft. It sounds kind of like it wasn't really. Yeah, I mean it's normal by today's standards, right. but when you look at kind of everything else that was going, this is a pre-Sergeant Pepper world. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. That changes things. And um. So there was a famous club in London called the UFO. It's spelled UFO, but they pronounced it UFO. Mm -hmm. And um, Pink Floyd, one of the things that they did in the beginning of their career is they kind of served as the house band for UFO. Um, It's where they got the majority of kind of paying their dues as a live group before they did their first record with Sid. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, the very first night that they played there, I believe I'm getting this history right. The first night that they played there, Pokal Harum was there playing this song. Wow. And you can hear a lot. You can hear a lot of Pink Floyd in this song. You kind of can. Um, I would say at least the chord changes are a lot more intricate than Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd really doesn't. They like to hang on chords and really kind of sap every little bit of emotion out of each one. Whereas this song changes uh-huh. pretty rapidly. Um, yeah, but as far as just kind of like the whole mood of it, the the way that the instruments sound, the laid back nature of it. That's true. Um, that's true. There's a little bit of rhythm intricacy in kind of like the pre-chorus little mini section, you know, which is definitely, mm-hmm. I would say, not something that, I've particularly noticed that Pink Floyd does, but certainly something that they would do. You know, they, they like if one of the members of the band said, hey, let's do this, none of them would say no. Uh, yeah. And, and so I, to me, yeah. to me, when I listen to this song, I hear a lot of The Endless River, which is the final Pink Floyd record, which I is among the most interesting releases by any band ever. And it's something that I'm not going to go into detail of right now because I want to save it for another Pink Floyd episode. Mm-hmm. But it is a it's a very interesting record. But when I listen to this song, that's kind of where my mind takes me. Mm-hmm. Is uh, takes me to Endless River Pink Floyd, which is some of the most beautiful music ever put to tape. Hmm. Okay. That's. That's high praise. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. But this song, to me, is a song that I feel like is enhanced by playing it right after hearing the songs in our set. Because it's almost just kind of like a peaceful epilogue. Yeah, that's what I saw. I mean, you don't construct these sets to include the bonus song. But I think... Yeah, I think exactly what you just said is that this this almost could be part of the set and it'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. So which anyway. which I think was an added bonus. It's no an added bonus. The bonus song. <laughs> uh it it definitely sounds Hendrix era to me. Almost. Yeah. In a weird I mean, way sonically. Definitely... For sure. Um 
their their chord progressions. I mentioned um, that there was that one part in Dogs where uh, David Gilmore kind of did different voicings of the same chord to make it give a different mood. Uh, he also does the same uh-huh. thing at the end of Sheep, which I really like. Um, they kind of do the same thing in this song. Um, they, it's kind of this similar chords, but it's different melodies over them. They're played differently. They're they're kind of in in different contexts rhythmically, uh, and it and it makes it add more to each little little chord change. You know, it's the same kind of chord changes, but it's 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 used differently. And that's a that's a Pink Floyd thing where they'll sap every energy out of every little chord, um, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. So I'm so glad I got a theory guy on here with me that can make sense <laughs> of all that stuff. That that wasn't too much theory. I didn't have to do too much theory today. I could have I could have gotten a lot more into the theory today, but I, I oh I didn't, yeah, <laughs> I did not. I bet you could have. Uh, they're masters, so oh yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts here. Right. Okay. So you're the, you're the Pink Floyd fanatic, so I'll I'll let you end, <laughs> which means <laughs> I get to Sounds go first. <laughs> but um, uh. By the way, thanks for anybody who's, you know, stayed for this whole episode. Y'all are real troopers. It's a pretty long episode this time. So uh, thanks for sticking around. Um, yes, thank you. But uh, one of the things that I noticed about these epics was I, I mentioned, you know, that I had listened to animals first uh, before, or I should say I'd listened to animals before this podcast, and I didn't really like it. But that was back when I was still getting into Pink Floyd. And so I noticed that now that I'm into Pink Floyd, now that I'm into the sound and I understand that it's going to get a little weird, they're going to get a little experimental, but you have to bear with it and it'll eventually reach a point where it'll all make sense at the end of the song. And since I was able to like sonically live through that, I got a lot more out of it than, for example, like their much shorter songs. Um, Momentary Laps of Reason, still my favorite album. I still like a lot of the songs on that album more than the songs on here. But I appreciate Animals more. And I appreciate the themes that Roger Waters puts in there and that they lyrically put in there. And I think it's really intellectual. And I think that they're really good at taking you on a sonic, emotional, lyrical journey. I think this podcast uh, episode served its purpose in showing that at least to me and so i think i think my uh interest is increased into pink floyd and good yeah so i, th- that's I think that's the best result that i could have <laughs> uh yeah okay that's my final thought um gosh just for me it's 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 hard for me to think of what i can add to what I already feel obviously, you know, I continue to dig more out of these songs every time that I listen to them. I know that there's still meaning that I've yet to draw from these songs. There's meaning that I drew from them this time around that I never had before, which, you know, is always a great experience because, you know, you get to have that feeling of, oh, wow, I never noticed that layer before. Or whatever you have. And Pink Floyd is just one of those groups that is just, they're a gold mine that seems like it'll endlessly 
have gold left in there. Mm-hmm. And this process of researching, you know, for this episode, I thought that I knew just about everything I had to know. And I learned a lot of new stuff. And that was a really exciting thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really happy to have done this volume two. And I can't wait to see what other volume twos for different artists is going to um, provide. I'm really excited now to start revisiting some of these artists that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah, me too. This was a really I would fun say episode. that this was... <laughs> I would say this was a success. We we kind of got to just cut to the heart of the matter on a lot of this stuff without having to get mired in the, you know, the history and right. you know, keeping keeping things simple for the listeners their first time around. It's just like let's just dive headfirst into the weird and it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, because no, this is the stuff me as a musician and as a lover of of truly fine music this is the stuff that's the most fun to talk about. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. This is really fun. Cause it's, it's, it, at this point it becomes a craft, you know, it's not, yes. it's not as much like a, like a business, you know, as much as like other like big hits are kind of business oriented songs. This is, uh-huh. this is when their creativity, their own muse comes out. Uh, and I, it was really interesting to hear that. And and listen to it critically for the first time, you know. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm honored to be part of yes. this. Yes. Thank. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening with us and for making it all the way through this long episode. We hope that you enjoyed this first time of us kind of doing a um, a deeper dive into an artist we've already covered. So. Um, Please tune in for the next time that we do that. It'll probably be a little bit before we get to the next one, but we'll get to a point to where we have a regular rotation of uh, returns. So uh, check it out whenever we get there next. Next week, um, we're going to be going right into the world of pop music and looking at one of the all-time great pop stars. So make sure that you tune in. 9 a.m. Central to get the new episode for that. And uh, make sure that you check us out on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, go check our Patreon page and support the channel there, as well as click on the link in the description of the episode to go check out the Spotify playlist where you can listen to not only the songs that we talked about on this episode, but every song that we've covered on every episode we've done so far. Um it would be a shame if you heard us talk for all this time and you didn't check out the songs. Yes. And uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button and leave us a review, leave us a rating, let us know what bands you want us to cover in the future. And we will see you guys next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And keep on listening to good music. <laughs>